1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today we'll feature a conversation I had with Pastor Greg Allen on revival. We'll also hear from Dennis Prager, author of The Rational Bible. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. We'll also take a look at a challenge, a lawsuit, the first of its kind on the FDA, the claim. The FDA lacks the authority to approve abortion pills, the chemical abortion pills. That's coming up in the second hour as well. But first, we'll take a look at some of the day's headlines. So Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler released a lengthy statement and video on Wednesday addressing homelessness, affordable housing, the mental health crisis, and Oregon's drug abuse problem. He also announced new temporary homeless shelter sites across the city. Well, the mayor announced his initial plan to tackle the city's homeless crisis about four months ago, and the community is uh, has slowly started to learn locations of the six mass encampments he plans to build. Wheeler's statement on Wednesday announced new temporary shelters that can house and provide services to homeless people while those are um, being built. Well, the mayor said his goal is to ultimately eliminate unsanctioned, unsheltered camping in Portland sooner rather than later through the development of affordable housing and these new shelter sites. But he emphasized they are not uh, criminalizing the homeless. Well, Mayor Wheeler said the city council has already set aside twenty seven million dollars for these new shelter sites, and he hopes the state and uh, county will pitch in to help as well. We'll keep an eye on uh, the, the mayor's plan. Meanwhile, a Christian missionary group announced it was suing the state of Washington last week. ...over the new interpretation of a law that they say prevents them from hiring like-minded individuals who share their Christian values. According to Alliance Defending Freedom, whose attorneys are representing the uh, the organization, religious organizations are free to hire employees that are aligned with and live out their religious beliefs. Senior counsel Ryan Tucker with ADF... Uh, Says Washington State has a non-discrimination law in place, and for years, religious organizations have been able to hire individuals aligned with their beliefs with no problems. The Washington Supreme Court recently gutted the state's religious employer exemption and that law, which allows them to hire like-minded individuals. Now, all religious organizations in the state, including Yakima Union Gospel Mission, Are in harm's way due to the state's actions. End quote. Well, through the lawsuit, Yakima Union Gospel Mission is fighting to protect what its lawyers argue is the organization's constitutional right to hire people who live by its mission, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ through its homeless shelter, addiction recovery programs, outreach effort, meal services, and health clinics for the Yakima community. Well, the Washington law against discrimination prohibits sexual orientation, discrimination in employment, and the lawsuit claims Washington state officials view the mission's employee requirements as unlawful sexual orientation discrimination under the law. Well, ADF asserts that the Washington Supreme Court reinterpreted state law to prohibit religious organizations like the mission from only hiring people who share their religious beliefs, and as a result, state officials are now threatening the mission with significant penalties for using its religiosity, if you will, um, for based, um, basing their hiring. The Yakima Union Gospel Missions uh, director or CEO, Mike Johnson, says that this uh, new interpretation has forced them to pause hiring. Everything has really changed over the last couple of years for us, he says. We've had to completely eliminate all of our public advertising for positions because we started getting a whole bunch of hostile applications. The uh, state attorney general is going after another organization like ours right now. So we've pulled down a couple of open positions. Every job opening we have now, we have to weigh the risk of advertising this position with the risk of not filling it because everything has uh, become so risky for us. We'll continue again to follow that story as it develops. They have challenged uh, the uh, interpretation of that law. Pennsylvania mother Megan Brock uh, joined Fox and Friends first to discuss the backlash over a measure and why she considers it an infringement upon her religious rights. Pennsylvania Democrats are facing backlash after proposing a bill that would require parents seeking a school vaccine exemption to complete an approved vaccine education course first. If passed, Senate Bill 390 would mandate parents seeking vaccine mandate exemptions for their children on religious or moral grounds to review scientifically accepted information prescribed by the Department of Health and on the benefits and risks of immunization and submit a form certified by the medical professional. Keystone um, state mom Megan Brock joined the uh, uh, news organization to push back on the efforts to control Uh, the younger generation and to send them to re-education camp, if you will. She says, and I quote, I think that Democrats really like control. I saw that even in my own local county, our Democrat commissioners made every single employee of the county get the COVID vaccine or they were going to lose their jobs. So I think that there is a real push right now in Pennsylvania across this country to control our children and to control the decisions we make for our children. Well, the current well, the current state policy only requires parents write a signed letter explaining why uh, they're seeking a vaccine exemption. It does not require a medical professional's sign off or any education based requirement. Uh, Brock argued the change in policy is an attack both on parental rights and the critical First Amendment right to the U.S. was founded upon freedom of religion. How much time did you say I have? Am I? Done with this. Okay, one segment. Well, the Supreme Court could take uh, the first transgender sports case with an appeal from West Virginia soccer player. West Virginia player Lainey Armistad uh, could give the Supreme Court its first shot at issuing a ruling on the controversial subject of transgender athletes in women's sports. She and her lawyers uh, from the Alliance Defending Freedom on Thursday asked the Supreme Court to weigh in on her case against the American Civil Liberties Union. That group is trying to strike down West Virginia's Save Women's Sports Act, which bans male student athletes who identify and present themselves as female from playing on girls' school Sports teams. When the state law was passed in 2021, it was immediately met by with uh, rather with a lawsuit from the ACLU, which represented Becky Pepper Jackson, a transgender middle school student who um, was barred from joining the girls cross country team. The ACLU argued the law violated Pepper Jackson's rights under the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause and Title IX, a federal statute that prohibits sex based discrimination. Again, another story to continue to follow. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up for our next couple of segments, a conversation I had with Pastor Greg Allen on revival, what it is and what it means. We'll also hear from Dennis Prager in the second hour of today's program. He's the author of The Rational Bible. I guess he author wouldn't quite be the right way to put it, but he's coming up. We'll also take a look at the FDA and a lawsuit, the first of its kind, that challenges their authority to approve chemical abortion pills that are currently being made available. That's all coming up in the second hour of today's program. While receiving treatment, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has been hospitalized in Washington, D.C. The Senate Minority Leader was attending a private dinner at a hotel in the nation's capital when he tripped and fell. He has been diagnosed with a concussion and remains in hospital. Two-tier justice, a bill pushed by Washington's attorney general would criminalize free speech and lead to an Orwellian ministry of truth under the guise of preventing domestic terrorism, according to a regional think tank. This bill will create a two-tier justice system where some people have free speech and others don't. And that is a dangerous path for us to set upon the director of education at the Washington Policy Center. Said Washington Attorney General Bob Ferguson's office released a 31-page report last year with recommendations on preventing domestic extremism. Now, a bill establishing a commission tasked with building upon the report and creating a first-of-its-kind public health approach to proactively fighting misinformation and early signs of radicalization is making its way through the state legislature. Up your games, lady. That's what First Lady uh, Jill Biden and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken seem to suggest they were slammed on Wednesday for presenting a biological male from Argentina with an award for women on International Women's Day. Twitter erupted. The U.S. and the U.K. are both cracking down on illegal immigration uh, and asylum claims in the face of the migrant surges. And Democrats who can't define women celebrate International Women's Day. The Golden State Blues, California Governor Gavin Newsom tests positive for COVID-19 days after a personal trip. And the Biden administration has quietly delayed major oil and gas leasing decisions. Wasn't disclosed to me, so says the ex-lawyer of Jacob Chansley. He's the Navy veteran known widely in the media as the QAnon shaman for his outlandish look during the Capitol riot on January 6th. Uh, he had not seen the newly released footage that could have aided his client against federal charges. Chansley, who famously went shirtless and donned face paint and a horned hat while carrying an American flag on the day Congress certified President Biden's election victory, was portrayed as the leader of the pro-Trump rioters who violently attacked Capitol police officers and defaced the Capitol building. However, over 40,000 hours of Capitol footage exclusively obtained by Tucker Carlson tonight on Fox. Uh, show him being escorted around by Capitol Police without incident. At one point, at least nine police officers were seen in close proximity to Chansley, and none of them slowed him down. Chansley was later arrested, federally charged for knowingly entering or remaining in any restricted building or grounds without lawful authority and with violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. He was sentenced to nearly four years in prison. Watkins, his attorney, said the footage proves that Chansley did not have all the evidence to decide whether he should go to trial or take a plea. He ultimately took a plea. Randy Weingarten claims children do better in schools under teachers unions. I'd like to see the evidence on that. Case in point, local media cut the news feed on Governor DeSantis' book ban hoax, as they call it. It was a stream due to explicit content. The point the governor was making was that there was explicit content inappropriate for young people and the uh, local media cut the feed because it was too explicit, making the governor's point. Espionage efforts, an expert says China stole U.S. military secrets to to create a knockoff F-22 Raptor and pricey jet. The U.S. has authorized seizure of a Russian oil company plane. Former CDC Director Robert Redfield testified that gain-of-function research has led to the greatest pandemic in world history. Testifying on Capitol Hill Wednesday morning, the former Centers for Disease Control Director Robert Redfield was asked about the benefits of dangerous gain-of-function research, that frankensteining of viruses to make them more lethal or infectious to humans. When asked if he could point to a single pandemic gain-of-function research had prevented Redfield couldn't give an example and instead pinned the latest pandemic on the practice. On International Women's Day, highlighting biological males was not what most women expected. Well, the press proves DeSantis' point by, uh, well, I already mentioned that. Minnesota Governor Walls signed a bill allowing illegal residents to obtain driver's licenses. I wonder if they uh, will now be OK with showing I.D. to vote since everyone is allowed a license. Minnesota Governor Tim Walz on Tuesday signed the bill into law that will allow residents to get driver's licenses no matter their status. Last month, the DFL-controlled Minnesota legislature uh, passed the bill and sent it to Walz's desk. The effort, dubbed Driver's License for All, is 20 years in the making for supporters of the policy who say it will improve public safety and allow people without legal status to continue contributing to the state's economy. There is an illegal immigration tax, $1,156 annually per taxpayer. Um, immigration is now costing U.S. taxpayers $151 billion a year, marking a 30% increase in five years, according to a new study by the Hawkish Immigration Group being released this, way, this week. Rather, The study, The Fiscal Burden of Illegal Immigration on the United States Taxpayers 2023 by the Federation of American Immigration Reform, or FAIR, concludes that American taxpayers pay overall around $182 billion annually for services and benefits to those in the country illegally. However, those costs are offset by around $31 billion in taxes collected from what they estimate are $15.5 million. Uh, immigrants in the U.S. Food Assistance and Nutrition Program, including Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, and Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. Costs are estimated by the group to cost about $13.5 billion a year. The study estimates that each illegal immigrant or U.S.-born child of illegal I- uh, immigrants cost $8,776 a year and cost each taxpayer $1,500 a year. The author of the famed Goosebumps series says woke edits were made to his book without his knowledge. Car thefts uh, thefts rather, have reached the highest levels in 14 years. There were over one million car thefts in the U.S. in 2022 for the first time in 14 years, according to a report for the National Insurance Crime Bureau. The estimated one million uh, thefts, uh, actually over one million, uh, thefts were an increase of 7% over 2021, and the most since 1.05 million were stolen in 2008. A Communist Chinese Party blogger on the government advisory panel placed pro independence Taiwan officials on a kill list. The pro-CCP blogger who sits on an influential Chinese government advisory panel called for the assassination of Taiwanese Vice President William Lai in comments expanding on his uh, proposal to create a list of Taiwan pro-independence figures that pro-Beijing forces would kill after an invasion. The blogger joined an influential government body called the Chinese People's Political Consultative conference this year, and although the body doesn't have legislative power, it is a key conduit through which the Chinese Communist Party exercises influence over people and entities who aren't officially in the party. China has quickly lost favorability in the eyes of Americans. A poll that was taken in the days following the discovery of the spy balloon shows that a record low of 15% of Americans view China favorably. And the findings, 45 percent view the country unfavorably and 29 percent view it most mostly unfavorable. Gallup uh, write up uh, noted that this percentage has fallen steadily over the past few years from 41 percent in 2019, 33 percent in 2020, uh, 20 percent in 2021 and 22. Before this year, 20 percent was the lowest recorded. President Biden's neglect. The Taliban now owns $7.2 billion in American military equipment. The Constitution has been ruled unconstitutional. In 2021, Missouri Republican Governor Mike Parson signed into law a bill dubbed the Second Amendment Preservation Act. The law aimed to protect Missourians' Second Amendment rights from potential infringement by the federal government. The Biden administration sued, and on Tuesday, U.S. District Judge Brian Wimes, a, a, a Barack Obama appointee, Rule that the law was an unconstitutional breach of the Supremacy Clause, which elevates federal laws over state ones. However, the Constitution and Bill of Rights protect individual rights and federal government cannot outlaw. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey has promised to appeal that ruling. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show up next. Pastor Greg Allen on Revival.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As promised, we're going to continue our conversation on events that have taken place beginning in Asbury, Kentucky, and um, or Asbury University in Kentucky and spreading across the uh, the country having to do with young people and the discussion that's going on about revival or an awakening. As you probably know, uh, Greg Allen is pastor of Bethany Bible Church. We've had conversations on the subject of revival in the past, and I know that's near and dear to your heart that you and others in your congregation have been praying for and seeking God for revival for a, a very long period of time. We've talked about the history of movements uh, in the country and so on. So I appreciate your joining us today so that we can talk about uh, what, how we should respond to what we've witnessed.
3: <laughs> so thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, let me just ask you to respond to the attention that's recently been brought not just by the church but really by the the nation in general to what happened in Asbury and then spread across the country that's been characterized as a revival or an awakening
3: your thoughts well I'd like to give first of all a little bit of a caveat I am not uh, an expert on what's happening there. Uh, I know a little bit about it and what i what I've heard is exciting i'm I'm very encouraged by it. But the posture that I've taken with it is to basically watch and wait and pray. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm watching because, obviously, there's lots of different opinions about this. Uh, There are people who are critical of it. I think perhaps probably too quickly critical or dismissive. Uh, But at the same time, I think it pays to just make careful observation and watch what's going on. I want to say I'm waiting And the reason I say that is because historically, revivals don't always show themselves to be such until after some amount of time, when we see the long-term results and the after-effects of it. And I want to say, too, that I'm praying, because obviously, I, like so many, want to see revival happen in our time. Um, And uh, whether this is a demonstration of an answer to that prayer or not, I don't know. But I'm praying And praying that uh, God will give revival in our time.
2: This event uh, that we're referencing began in a chapel where students Mm -hmm. are required to attend as part of the student body. Um, The speaker apparently had not prepared to speak and decided since he was given the mic to just talk candidly about his own life and some of his own struggles. And at the end, he invited students who had similar challenges to just stay and pray. Well, about 18 of them did that. Mm -hmm. And the rest grew into what was a a days long series of um, prayer meetings and worship services in which young people were crying out to God and confessing their sins, repenting and asking God to do something significant. I don't think they were seeking a political movement. They weren't Mm. seeking a, a church movement. They were as individuals coming together in a corporate way crying out to God and saying, we, we want more. Mm-hmm. Um, this world is not enough. And that in and of itself is encouraging to me.
3: Well, yes, it is. And I, I don't get the impression that they were thinking, hey, let's start a revival. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't something that was intended in that respect. But you have to say, anytime anybody desires to get right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, to confess their sins, to seek a stronger and more uh, holy life before him, you can't help but be excited by that. And uh, so from that perspective, um, I think what we're seeing is certainly sincere uh, and very exciting, and I would desire to see more of it.
2: Absolutely. We're talking yeah. about people under the age of 25. Yeah, and yeah. so that's encouraging. There, It's easy, I think, as a middle-aged—I'm flattering myself to refer to myself as middle-aged. I think I'm actually beyond that. But as a middle-aged I'm person— I'm out of t- this
3: conversation.
2: <laughs> the tendency is, don't oh, get off the lawn and just shake your fist. Young people this and young people that— It's encouraging and it's inspiring to see groups of young people come together for Mm -hmm. the sole purpose of honoring God, worshiping Him, and seeking His face.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, Isn't that something that we've been longing for and praying for? Absolutely. Absolutely. The thing about this is we we use the word revival, and I don't know from your perspective, we've talked often about this, but I'm usually thinking about larger historic events Mm -hmm. that have uh, characterized our nation's history the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and so forth. And those are the kind of things that seem to dominate my mind when I think of the word revival. But a revival can occur on a small level. It can be that a larger revival movement is composed of several smaller, more localized uh, revival events that uh, God works dramatically in some people's lives and that spreads and, or even just influences others. So, um uh, you can't help but be grateful for what you're seeing and, and praying for it to be guided by God's hand, whether this is a larger, historic, nation-transforming event, or just something that God sends an encouragement to us to say, I hear your prayers, and I am at work.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I remember uh, Jason in my previous conversation making mention in his interviews of a one one young man who had uh, piercings on both of his nostrils who had come and he's just asking, why are you here? What are you looking for? He says, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not religious. I don't know Jesus, but there's something here that I want to know more about him. And he just came to sit in and see what are my peers doing? What are Mm. they talking about? Many of the young people made mention of the fact that they are overwhelmed by our culture and just the struggle um, to reflect a Christ-like character and the challenges that are foisted upon them, some um, struggle with just being authentic. They didn't feel like they could honestly ask for prayer in certain areas because it would reveal that they are less than perfect. The standard that's set uh, on Facebook and in inter- uh, uh, some of the other social media outlets. Others were bombarded with um, with sexual images that were making it difficult for them to exercise self control. And so they were They were crying out to God, we need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as young people were confessing their struggles, others felt free to confess their struggles, and God met them there. And that, to me, was exciting. It, it was a revival in the sense that these young people were revived in their confidence and hope that God was with them and for them and in them and was going to go before them. Uh, beyond that,
3: I, I don't know. Well, in our past conversations, we've talked before about how those major historic revival movements that we've talked about in the past were preceded often by a uh, an overwhelming sense of something has to change, mm-hmm. or we are doomed. Um, uh, the The characteristic that I've seen in a lot of my reading has been that the church is in kind of a a state of of uh, just kind of a loss of a sense of power a loss of a sense of vision. It's just kind of coasting along. And then the larger culture around us, it seems like it's beyond human remedy. And that begins uh, that prayer within the people of God to say, God, you must do something or we're lost. And perhaps that's what we're seeing in this current generation. The younger people are seeing the future from what they're seeing in the present. And they're realizing this is beyond human help. The resources that they've trusted in, the 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 uh, fixtures of culture have let them down and they realize there's no human help here. We must have God's help. And so they're perhaps crying out to him with that longing within the heart that God places in us of himself.
2: Well, that is such a healthy perspective. It's always been true. Whether or yeah. not we have learned to rely on certain institutions, it's always true that they are insufficient. It's mm-hmm. always been true that only God can rescue us yeah. from Uh, from what we so desperately need and so for young people to come to a point of recognition um, is such a healthy and biblical approach and a worldview that, mm-hmm. that ought to be encouraged. Now we need to take a, uh, take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation again, talking with, uh, Pastor Greg Allen from Bethany Bible Church. We're talking about Asbury, the revival or awakening, but beyond that, what we should make of and what we should ask God for as we continue to move forward as men and women of faith. We'll be
1: back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. With me in studio is Pastor Greg Allen with Bethany Bible Church. We're talking about and reflecting on events at Asbury University in Kentucky and other college campuses across the country as well. Now, we use the word revival and awakening quite often. Perhaps we would do well to define those words in a way that we can understand, not just in the context of this a series of events but in general and historically what is a revival well and what is an awakening are they interchangeable
3: yeah that, that's a great question because when we talk about revival it's not a word that stands on its own we have to ask the question reviving what yeah you know there's got to be some direction this goes i have developed a working definition and probably kind of frankensteined it from different sources but a w- revival in my understanding is a gracious work of god Number one, it's a gracious work. It's not something that we create. It's not something we schedule. It's a gracious work of God in response to the concerted prayers of his people, by which the Holy Spirit profoundly renews the church from out of a period of spiritual decline and grants such remarkable power and success to the proclamation of the gospel that it dramatically transforms a generation. That's a mouthful. I had to read it. Mm. I couldn't quite remember it. But that's so.
2: that's beautifully
3: written, though. Yeah.
2: And, you know, when I think about what's happening on college campuses, these are young men and women, and we're talking about Christian colleges uh, primarily. These are young men and women who are presumably being trained for leadership in the church mm-hmm. and for there to, uh, to be an event like this um, in which they are recognizing their utter dependence on God and and confessing their weakness and asking him to revive them, uh, it seems to me has the potential to have an impact in a, perhaps in a generation, perhaps in a number of years as they assume leadership yeah. roles in various ways as politicians, as pastors, as, uh, as church leaders, and so on.
3: Well, you know, revival in the past has often led to a new generation of, of God's servants rising up uh, for their time. Uh, Revivals aren't just experiences where people, you know, recommit to reading the Bible daily or something, but God raises up a generation for a generation. In other words, he'll raise up leaders for their time to dramatically impact their generation. You asked earlier about the difference between revival and awakening, and I think this might be a good time to bring that question Mm -hmm. in. Uh, And to the best of my understanding, this is all me, I I don't know, but— uh, but revi- you
2: are a learned pastor and a leader in the church, so let me just say that. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you're infallible, but you. this is not an well, uninformed tell, uh, you, opinion.
3: You need to talk to my wife, maybe. But anyway, <laughs> um, a revival, as, my, as I understand it, is a work that God does on his church, uh, where obviously the name revival implies that something is already revived, it needs to be revived and so a revival in my understanding is where god does a work by the power of the holy spirit to renew his church and to renew their vision and renew their commitment an awakening in my understanding has more to do with the the unsaved world where maybe perhaps uh, before then the world the people of this world don't care about their soul they don't care about their condition before god but suddenly the holy spirit does a mighty work in them to help them to see their need. Some have said that in a time of revival, what often happens is that the sinner goes and looks for the evangelist Mm -hmm. and seeks the evangelist. In John chapter 16, let me read this. In John 16, verses 26 through 27, Jesus talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he said, when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify of me and he will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning and he later on speaks about how the holy spirit would then convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment it's not a thing that we can do we can't convict anybody we can try and we do a terrible job when we do but The Holy Spirit has the ability to reach into the inner recesses of the human heart to convict and and to reveal the truth. And what I see is in a revival, God also works in the unbelieving world to awaken them, equipping his church to proclaim the message of the gospel clearly and boldly and in his power, and and the unbelieving world, given the ability to hear, respond, repent, and believe. Mm.
2: One of the phrases that came up often in Asbury was radical humility. And Mm. it's, again, that that dependence, that recognition that I am utterly dependent on God, that in order for things to change, in order for things to uh, move in the right direction, it is utterly dependent upon a move of God. Mm -hmm. And I simply make myself available. And I acknowledge that in my own efforts, I'm incapable of making the kind of impact that's necessary And that, uh, again, is such an encouraging thing to hear that came out of uh, this gathering of young people that lasted for a a period of weeks and continues to ripple across the country on college campuses uh, as well.
3: I covet that myself. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. How might we, um, who aren't college students, we're not under 25, we weren't (laughs) there, uh, and it's easy, I would imagine, to, in that environment, in that atmosphere, to very easily have fallen into, yes, I this is what I want. How do you and I in Portland, Oregon, um, you know, we have the dubious distinction of being among the least churched in the nation. How do you and I pray for revival and seek revival? First of all, asking God, I guess a better way of putting it, recognizing our radical um, humility and our, our dependence on God. How do we participate in what i believe is an ongoing cry of the hearts of god's people all across the country this recent ser- series of events notwithstanding that there would be revival in our land that would stretch across the globe mm-hmm. how do we um, partake in that we may not be a part of a large group or a large church that's involved in that kind of um that kind of praying what what do i do
3: well obviously you know you talk about a your your involvement in a revival it might not be that you you experience what you're describing uh, that we're seeing in another generation uh, undergoing right now. But a revival always, as I've said earlier, is is a product of the concerted prayers of God's people. And so I would say certainly one of the things that we can be doing is uh, faithfully uh, and humbly praying and asking God for this, with our eyes open, watching the times that we're living in, mm-hmm. paying attention to what's going on, paying attention to history, paying attention to what God has done in the past, paying attention to his scriptures where he's told us stories in in the scriptures themselves of revivals and transformation of people's lives. But one of the things that I strongly believe in also is in a pursuit of a personal revival, a personal recommitment of certain things in our lives. I would say that if we were going to do that, I'd want to commit to growing in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A revival in the end, whatever else it may include, has to highlight Jesus Christ and no other. He is the premier focus of, of, of awakening and revival. So ourselves, to commit to grow daily in that personal relationship and obedience to him and faithfulness to him, we grow in our repentance of sin as we grow in that relationship with Jesus. Uh... In love and in mercy and in a way that he knows best to do, he confronts us about things Mm -hmm. in our lives that need to change. Obey him. Do it. Let him have uh, the the right to occupy your heart fully and get rid of the things that don't belong in there. Um, I would say there needs to be a growth in the reliance on the Holy Spirit in our daily walk. God has put this wonderful helper in us, and we need to turn to him and rely on his support and his help and strength. And guidance. We need to grow in reading the Bible. As uh, there's an appalling illiteracy mm-hmm. among uh, professing believers in the Bible. I've heard somebody, some statistics that the average Christian reads their Bible maybe three times a year. Mm. Uh, that's but wait, now, isn't that
2: isn't that your job? You're the professional.
3: I I got to read it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, and, and obviously faithful biblical preaching, but there just needs to be that sense of personal devotion to Absolutely. the Word of God. There needs to, I'd say here we are post-COVID, uh, we need to get back in church. Watching your pastor on TV is great, that's all fine, But we need, but we need the assembly of the body of Christ. We need to be a part of that body and contribute to it. So growing in regular church involvement and attendance— this is a touchy one. There might be some relationships that need to be restored that we've avoided having to go through that hard work with. It might be that the the Lord is saying, I want to take you into a new place where I have prepared prepared for you, but you can't go there until this is resolved. You know, until it's
2: you... In- interesting that you mentioned that many of the young people who were interviewed said that God confronted them about their relationship with a parent and right? they resolved to reconcile with the parent before they could move forward
3: I'm so, sure the parents were yeah. thinking this revival thing is good then <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, it, I didn't mean to interrupt no that's I fine want to mention that but I, I, one more thing in this um, you know that passage that I mentioned earlier where the Holy Spirit is the one that brings conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment I remember one theologian saying always remember that that promise is in conjunction with the faithfulness of God's people to proclaim the gospel. Hmm. And so one of the things that I would say we need to resolve to do is to learn to share our faith. Learn how to share the gospel and have a commitment to speak for Jesus Christ in these times. To speak faithfully his gospel. Don't do self-help things. Point to the gospel, the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. These are resolves that I think would answer your question. How, what can we do? Absolutely.
2: Now we're going to take a quick break, but I'm reminded that Um, The Apostle Paul said that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I think sometimes we're just a little reluctant. I'm not. It has the power to transform Mm. a life. And um, what a privilege it is that he gives us that gift to give to others. Mm -hmm. We'll faithfully um, obey him. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, talking with Pastor Greg Allen from Bethany Bible Church. We're talking about what happened in Asbury and other college campuses across the, the country. One of the things I noted was people hopped on a plane or a bus or in their car and they drove there. They wanted to be there. And certainly witnessing that had to have been thrilling. But it occurred to me, you don't have to be there. There was nothing sacred about that piece of ground that somehow you step onto the ground and you're transformed, that we have access uh, to the throne of grace from our, own, uh, from our own knees in our own living room or our own mm-hmm. prayer closet. So we don't have to necessarily go there. We don't have to be a spectator. God calls us as individuals and as uh, corporate believers in the body of Christ to come before him anywhere at any time.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, one of the things that would make me cautious is if the response to this remarkable event is that a, a place becomes central rather than Christ himself. Um, that is is somewhat natural. People are wanting to go to a place where they see something exciting like that happening. But if we begin to uh, sanctify a place as if that's where God is working, I I think we might be going off the track. Uh, You're absolutely right. The Holy Spirit is, is the indwelling helper of every believer, and that means anywhere, at any time, I could look at what's going on in a place and I can pray fervently, God, do mm-hmm. that here. Do that in me. And uh, that, I think, is the right po- right focus.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we as believers in this community have a tremendous capacity as individuals and as corporate believers to pray in just that mm-hmm. way. And God will hear us because we're praying according to His will. Um, this requires a, a, a great deal of... Um, Humility on our part and a commitment mm-hmm. to uh, to obey him, to listen and to follow. I, I, I guess my final question to you is: um, What expectations we should have? I know a lot of people mm-hmm. have set very big expectations about what happened at Asbury and in other college campuses. This is the the first step towards something else, or some are suggesting that this is just a um, an, an emotional uh, series of mm-hmm. events. How should we set expectations, or should we? Uh, following these events?
3: I think there's a reasonable level of expectation, certain things that we should watch for. Mm -hmm. I want to be careful in my answer of this because many people have, I think, unduly criticized this movement or movement because uh, of the emotional
2: expressions. The expression, Yeah, yeah.
3: And I would expect that when God works mightily in us, we should have some pretty exciting feelings about it. But if it if, if it only ends there then then that's that's not what i would be looking for if i were to look on the long term of what would impress me as being a truly a, a true revival a work of god the thing that i would see number 1 most of all is jesus christ exalted not our feelings not our experiences but christ himself that christ becomes our lord christ becomes our object of worship Christ becomes our master, our dearest friend, our savior. He becomes everything to us. So, and and that we increasingly allow him to have the dominance in our heart and our life. So number 1, number 1, Jesus Christ dominant. That's what I would see first. Now, beyond that, I would look also for um I would I would look for uh, renewed passion for God's word. Mm. Um, In every revival movement that you can think of, uh, the the preaching of the Word, and I I mean just people going to their Bibles, certainly, but there's something about the faithful proclamation of God's Word by God-appointed leadership in churches, faithfully preaching the Word. uh, That's something that I would expect to see. And in fact, I have a right to expect that, because when you go to the Scriptures, you find clear evidence of that. When you go to the story of Nehemiah chapter 8 for example that was a revival Nehemiah chapter 8 you're seeing a revival described and what's impressive about that is you see that they build a pulpit and they proclaim the word of God and explain it they preach expositionally to the people and it moves them and it transforms them or you can think of the revival under King Hezekiah for example in 2nd Chronicles mm-hmm. 28 and on Uh, 29, Um, that was a revival of the Word of God. People began to hear, they began to go search the Scriptures, and King Hezekiah took the lead in this, but led them to obedience to the Word of God. So I would say uh, the, the preaching, the preaching of the Word and the emphasis of the Word of God, I would say obedience, renewed obedience to Christ and to His commandments, that we do a searching of our heart to see where we may be Uh, disobeying him. I I would caution against uh, searching our hearts in order to find something to confess, because I think that the Holy Spirit brings these things to us at the right moment. You know something else that I would expect, and I've been thinking about this a lot, if a real genuine movement is a genuine revival movement from God, we should expect persecution. Now, we don't like to talk about that part of it. When we pray for revival, I think we need to be sensible about it and realize we're praying for something that the devil will fight against fervently. He doesn't care if we have emotions, he doesn't care if we we have feelings. But when we start to preach Christ, Hmm. when we start to proclaim the Word of God, when we start to evaluate our behavior, in the light of the scriptures, when we no longer judge the Bible by culture, but we judge the culture by the Bible, that's an attack to the devil, and he will put a stop to it if he can. So I would expect to see opposition. I would expect to see trouble and and, and persecution, frankly.
2: Some of the young people who came to Asbury confessed that <clears throat> they felt isolated and alone on their campuses because there were no other Christians who were speaking mm. and proclaiming the gospel boldly and and what you've just described is what they feared um as the move of god in their hearts urges them to stand for god's word and to speak boldly they're going to experience that kind of opposition or persecution yeah. i think for me um you know the the events may not have taken place in just the way i would have uh, prescribed them uh, the students may not have looked like i thought they should have been uh, you know, sort of looked as they sung and joyfully danced in the in the sanctuary but my prayer is that this generation of young people who are involved at in asbury and different college campuses that god would continue to do a deep work in their lives these are the future leaders mm-hmm. uh, that god is going to call into leadership they're going to be um, teachers and pastors and church leaders and politicians that what began in them in these days would mature and grow and bear fruit. And in the future, there would be a boldness and a willingness to proclaim, as you've described the gospel of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that they would become committed to, to knowing God's word and to follow him wholeheartedly. Mm. And, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen in the days ahead, but I can pray in that way for these young people that um, whether or not they were as genuine as we would hope or, they would fall short, but that God would continue that deep work in them. And we'd see fruit at some point in the future.
3: And I think, too, that we would want to watch for what is unique about this generation. Because in the past, God has done revivals, brought about revivals, that have have unique features to the times. I mean, think about mm-hmm. the, the, the Great Awakening was spread through preaching in churches. The Second Great Awakening was a new innovation, uh, camp meetings, tent meetings. Uh, the the telegraph that the facilitated the Third Great Awakening in the 1860s. Well, look at our times where we're living right now. We have things that have never existed in human history. I can write a sermon and preach it in my little church here in Portland and somebody listen to it in Israel. That's right. And that means that there are some elements to the situation that we're living in that God may use and may use the expertise of this generation to spread revival in a way that we never could have imagined. Yeah. (laughs) It won't look like what we thought. That's right. But it'll be still the same God and still the same gospel.
2: To God be the glory for what he has done and what he will do. Well, Pastor, I so appreciate your joining us to help put this into perspective and to set our expectations uh, in a biblical way, to be encouraged and hopeful and how to pray for those who are part of these events, but also how we can come before God on our own and ask
1: him to revive us.
3: And I appreciate your heart. It's it's so refreshing to see your
1: enthusiasm for this too. Thank you. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Hey, the question is, is the Bible, the most influential book in world history, still relevant? And why do so many people dismiss it as being irrelevant, irrational, immoral, or all of the above? Well, the Rational Bible, Deuteronomy, by my next guest, Dennis Prager, national radio host and best-selling author of the Rational Bible series, explains the book of the Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and demonstrates how it remains profoundly relevant, both to the great issues of our day and to each individual. If you doubt the existence of God because you think believing in God is irrational, this is a book you need to pick up. And read well my guest is Dennis Prager. he is the founder of the online nonprofit Prager University and the author of nine best-selling books on politics, religion and happiness. Tens of millions of people watch his videos and millions more listen daily to his nationally bro- syndicated broadcast um, radio show. With his knowledge of biblical Hebrew, he has uh, taught the Bible to people of every background for 40 years, and now he continues doing just that with his latest It's simply Deuteronomy the rational bible thank you so much for joining us
4: it's a pleasure thank you
2: well deuteronomy is the fifth book of the torah the third installment in your um, your series on the rational bible explain what the rational bible is that title and why deuteronomy
4: i have as my vehicle to the bible and to god reason uh, it, this is almost uh, heretical to say, but I don't accept things that don't make sense. That's that's my nature. I'm not saying it's good. It's or bad. It's just my nature. And over a course of the course of a lifetime of teaching and studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, I came to realize that with enough research, everything makes sense. And, I, and I've tried to bring that to people because if you want the roots of the chaos that now reigns in America and in many other places in the Western world, it is that there is no longer any transcendent source of wisdom or of morality, for that matter. And its it was the Bible. That's why we call it a Judeo-Christian civilization, because... The Jewish Old Testament and the Christian New Testament. Of course, the Old Testament is also Christian, so both. So I I have been able to make sense of this. Uh, obviously, uh, I have this gift from early uh, on of knowing Biblical Hebrew very well. That was a big help, but it's not enough, obviously. And gradually, I came to realize this is there's a reason it's the most influential book in history there's a reason that the civilization that is based on the bible western civilization had more human rights had more f- had more affluence had more science had more of everything precious than any other civilization in the world that has nothing to do with race it's an absurdity to even think it has anything to do with race it's simply a values issue so i have taken it upon myself to write this up. It's the hardest endeavor of my life to make, to make clear what every verse means, but that's what I've done. If people want to check out how people have reacted to Genesis and Exodus. There are 4,000 reviews of those two volumes on Amazon, and now Deuteronomy is coming out in a few days. It's the fifth, as you pointed out, of the five books. I'm working on Numbers, the fourth, and then finally I will do the third, Leviticus.
2: Now, Deuteronomy is unique in that most of the law is found there. Describe that book, the challenge of providing commentary on that book, and why it's important for us to understand what have been some of the controversial questions about Deuteronomy.
4: It will come as a surprise to you, I suspect. It came a big surprise to me, and I, I admit, sadly, I found out about this after I had already written Deuteronomy, but I found out well, maybe a month ago or two months ago, a a historian of America at the American University reported research done to find out what book or what books the founders of the United States cited most frequently. In second place was Montesquieu, the French Enlightenment thinker. And in first place was Deuteronomy. And I was blown away. Mm. I'm not shocked, but I didn't expect it. I thought if there would be a biblical book, it might have been Exodus, because the founders saw themselves as a second Israel leaving Europe, like the Israelites left Egypt. But lo and behold, it turns out to have been Deuteronomy. The book has more laws than any other single book. The book is Moses' recapitulation of everything that preceded it, and uh, it is filled with laws about everything, every aspect of life. I think my favorite, because it gives people an idea of how unique the Torah and the Bible are, is a law in Deuteronomy that if you are fighting in a war, you're a soldier in a war, and you see a woman that you want, who's part of the nation that you have just fought, you may not touch her if you want you can bring her to your home you must not touch her for 30 days while she mourns her family those are the words and then if you want to just so much as touch her you have to marry her can you imagine if the armies of the world had followed this in the history of, of, of warfare where rape was as common as shooting your your enemy so that, that was written 3,200 years ago. So people ask, is it still relevant? My God, it's more relevant than ever.
2: You've written an essay in the book called Fear of God is Morally and Psychologically Necessary. Can you make that case for us? I mean, as a as a Christian, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, and the use of the word fear, you, you make a point that that word can be translated in a couple of ways. Talk a bit about the necessity and importance of the fear of God and what Deuteronomy tells us about that.
4: Well, as it happens, uh, it is translated often as revere, but it's incorrect. It does mean fear. And uh, as I have put it all of my life, If more Germans feared God God than Hitler, there wouldn't have been the Holocaust. If more Russians feared God than Stalin, there wouldn't have been Gulag. Fear of God is one of the most important moral ideas ever conceived, that I feel I have to morally answer to God because there is divine punishment and reward. A a professor at the University of Oregon did a peer-reviewed paper published in a scientific journal, which showed they, they, they analyzed thousands and thousands of people in, in like 80 countries where people believed in hell, there was less violence. The notion that people will act beautifully without reward or punishment is as idiotic as people mm-hmm. will drive carefully without the speed laws or punishments. That, is that. So fear of God is, is the, in some ways, the basis of a moral society. Uh, I just would add something that I think people should note, and again, it's a classic example of biblical wisdom that runs completely counter to our thinking today. There are two beings that the Torah, the first five books, tell us to fear. God, and our mother and father. That's it. You should fear no one else and nothing else. And of course, to the modern mind, which is usually a, a rather primitive mind, unsophisticated mind, they spend too much time in secular colleges, they uh, they think that it's terrible. A child should not fear a parent. So I did an experiment on my radio show. It's a blessing that I have a radio show because I can bounce any idea I want off millions of people. And I said, Call me up and tell me if you didn't take drugs in high school, why didn't you? And virtually every single caller said, Because I I was afraid my mother would kill me. (laughs) That is such a healthy answer. Mm -hmm. If you don't fear your mother and father, that's not good. It doesn't mean you're scared. It doesn't mean you, 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 you quake in fear at their presence because you, 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 you fear they'll beat you up or something horrific or molest you, God forbid. But yes, you should fear them, and you should fear God. In fact, fear of parents is the conduit to fear of God. That's why honor your father and mother is the, is the fifth commandment, the one following four commandments about God. The conduit to God is, is the parent. This is all brilliant stuff that is completely alien to the modern secular mind. There are a lot of lovely secular people, but there isn't a single secular institution with wisdom. The, the proof of that is the universities are the, the places of the most idiocy, like men give birth, and America systemically racist— and they are the most secular institutions. It is not, it, it, it is not a coincidence. So the, the, these are a tiny, tiny handful of the insights that I tried to provide in the Rational Bible series.
2: We're talking with Dennis Prager. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. Again, the series, the Rational Bible series, the latest edition, Deuteronomy, God, Blessings, and Curses. We'll continue our conversation in a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dennis Prager. He is the author of the Rational Bible series and the latest edition, Deuteronomy. It's going to be out and available on the 11th of this month. That's next week. So check that out. Let me ask you some questions on some of the more controversial um, statements in the in the book of Deuteronomy, at least controversial in the 21st century, uh, which may indicate that we don't have any understanding of what the Scriptures are saying. What is the uh, the commandment that neither sex can wear the clothing of the other mean today? Now this would be completely unacceptable uh, in the secular universities, for example, but what does the Scripture actually mean with regard to how men and women dress? It
4: means exactly what it says. The 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 bible certainly the again the first five books are rooted in the concept of distinctions good and evil human and animal man and god pure and impure holy and and uh, impure or holy and unholy life and death uh, and uh, male and female the, the abolition of distinctions which the Radically Radical secular world desires uh, is going to mean the end of the civilization as we know it, and it's already happening. Mm-hmm. People telling children that they're not boys or girls, they'll decide later. The American Medical Association announcing that the sex of a child at birth should not be listed on, on the birth certificate. Th- these things are truly sick not to mention completely non-rooted in science. Every animal is male and female except humans. Are I supposed to believe that? I guess I am supposed to believe that, but I don't. God created the human being, male and female. He created them. It's a major statement in the book of Genesis. And you preserve those distinctions by your behavior. So if a man publicly, what he does privately is his business. But, what, uh, but a man who publicly dresses as a woman... Uh, is is mixing up what should be separate, and the fear of the Bible, which we no longer take seriously, and that's why we now have this, where we have a you know, drag queen story hour for five-year-olds, which is men, not even transgender men, men, dressing up as women and and dancing in front of the children, so as to thoroughly confuse them with regard to the binary nature of sexual identity. Human is sexually binary. There is male and there is female, and that is it. If somebody who is male thinks he is a female, that's a separate issue. The issue for the, the Bible is if you're a man and you're identifiably male, don't wear women's clothing publicly. You're, you're mixing what should remain separate. Now, if you think that society is better now that more men will wear skirts, okay, you obviously have a non-biblical view of the world. We'll see if your world turns out to be a beautiful one.
2: Hmm. Another issue that comes up quite frequently is whether or not God commanded the Israelites to commit genocide when they were commanded to annihilate the Canaanites that had lived in the land that God had promised to them.
4: Yeah, well, that's a biblical uh, problem. It's not a Deuteronomy a problem specifically, but, uh, and it, it really occurs in Joshua, which is post uh, the first five books, which is what I deal with, and which have their own uh, specific holiness. But I'll, I'll happily address it. First of all, the Bible itself recounts that they never killed everybody there. They show up uh, quite later in the Bible. In fact, the Israelites often would intermarry with them, which is how the, the subject arose. What we have here is much more of a um, of normal hyperbole. We use it in sports. Kill them. Destroy them. Uh, it, it, uh, that's that's much more what is being talked about. But even if it were true, even if it's accurate, and we take it literally that God instructed, which he doesn't, it's Moses actually, but it doesn't matter. Let's say God instructed or Moses instructed the Israelites to kill all the Midianites or all the Canaanites. Let's say that is true. So therefore what? So therefore I reject love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore I I, I reject the Ten Commandments. Therefore I reject that law about not raping women in war and, and every other moral achievement of this book in making the best civilization that ever ever occurred see if there were a law whenever you go to war wipe out every single man woman and child whom you fight i i will admit uh, it would be an uh, an insurmountable obstacle to me morally with regard to the bible because as i said originally if it doesn't make sense to me uh I, i find it very hard to accept but there is no such law it's irrelevant to me today if, if the creator of the universe thought that there was a reason to wipe out the people who engaged in child sacrifice and it's constantly a refrain that these people were particularly evil and 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 killed children in the, in the name of God then uh you know that's that's what God would have wanted in one particular instance. You might as well say, I'm always amazed when people raise the issue of the Canaanites or the Midianites. Why don't they raise the whole issue of the world? The same Bible says God killed everybody on earth except for Noah and his family. Why don't people raise that one? That's more dramatic. <laughs> this is just a little, a little, you know, nationality. That's the whole world. I, I, I never understood that. Why doesn't? Why don't you reject the Bible because of the flood? So uh, I I don't know what to say. Did God command me to bring a flood? No, God brought a flood because he he wants people to be good. If people screw it up, then he's going to start all over, and he did with Noah. Then we screwed it up again. Maybe maybe it'll happen, but there's but he promised that he wouldn't at least bring another flood again. So we don't have to worry about that. There okay. may be other reasons to worry. So uh, it, 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 look. If people people want to create their own Bible in their brain, I am answerable only to myself, which is what most people now today in the secular world think. I answer to my own conscience and my own heart. If you think that that is a better guide to a good world than the Bible, which guided the creation of the United States of America more than any other text, then, among other things, I think you're foolish and incredibly arrogant. So while I acknowledge a problem the the infinitely larger picture is of the most moral document ever to shape a civilization.
2: Was there a favorite thing that you learned as you researched and wrote The Rational Bible Deuteronomy? Were you surprised by something?
4: Well, that rape law, I got to say, has always struck me as one of the greatest advertisements for the, the moral achievement of Deuteronomy in the Bible generally, it, it's 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 quite remarkable. I mean, I could give you so many things. The fact that your animal has to rest on the Sabbath. I mean, what civilization in history ever said animals had to rest? This was such a unique development in in the history of mankind that animals have to be treated well. You you can't. There, there's a law that you can't. Uh, plow with two animals of, of different size on the same plow because they'll pull at different rates. That uh, okay. you can't muzzle an ox when it uh, when it works in the field. I mean, the, the, the concern with animals is unique in human history, where animals were tortured for fun, uh, as like cockfights and and the, and the burning of cats in in, in, in a sporting event. So. Uh, it's it's filled with this stuff, and that that's why I, I I ache for people to read it. If somebody reads any one of these three volumes that are out now, and, and they can start with any any of the three, it doesn't matter which you start with, uh, and, and then say, yeah, well, it doesn't it doesn't persuade me that this is the, the most remarkable moral work ever written. Then then you know, more power to you. Then I would simply ask, what would you like to substitute for it? The New York Times. Hmm.
2: Is there hope for the Judeo-Christian value system to prevail in American society again?
4: Only if people who believe in it know how to make the case. and that, That's why I think this is so important for Christians and Jews to use, because it will give them the intellectual, moral arguments that they need.
2: Again, the title of the book, the series, The Rational Bible, the latest to be released on the 11th, is Deuteronomy. Dennis Prager, thank you so much for talking with us, and I wish you the best of luck on this latest volume, and can hardly wait for the next.
4: That's great. Thank you for having me
1: on. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
4: Hey,
2: welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, it turns out the FDA might not have the authority to approve abortion pills. And um, a lawsuit, the first of its kind, is challenging that. And unsurprisingly, pro-abortion advocates are apoplectic about a recent case. It makes the first of its kind claim that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration never had the authority to approve the chemical abortion pill, mifeprestone, I can never pronounce that correctly, but you get the idea, Uh, When it did so in 2000, well, in the lawsuit, the plaintiffs, it's a coalition of national medical associations and doctors experienced in caring uh, for pregnant and post abortive women. They've requested that the court um, uh, review and, and find that the FDA's approval of the pill and its years of subsequent loosening of restrictions on its use to be unlawful. They've requested that the court order the FDA to withdraw its approval of that drug. Well, that outcome would have an unprecedented impact on the availability of the drugs that are part of the FDA's two drug regimen or regime, rather, if whichever way you say it, for chemical abortions. Uh, those drugs are responsible for nearly 50 percent of American abortions annually and represent the most common way to terminate unborn children's lives in the US. Well, the FDA stated uh, their mission is to protect the public health by ensuring the safety, efficacy and security of drugs, biological products and medical devices. But the plaintiffs in the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus US Food and Drug Administration, they argue that the agency ignored that mission in pushing the abortion drug through its accelerated approval process. And ignoring the relevant law and science, government uh, governing chemical abortions. Well, because the FDA regulations um, accelerated approval of drugs requires that new drugs be studied for their safety and efficacy in treating series of uh, serious um, and life threatening illnesses, and provide um, meaningful therapeutic benefits to patients over existing treatments. The FDA would have uh, had to classify pregnancy as an illness. This is according to the strict language of the law and not just an illness, but a serious or life threatening one at that. Well, this plaintiffs argue would be an addition in addition to um, showing that the chemical abortion pills provide a meaningful therapeutic benefit. Now, we heard yesterday that, in fact, they tried to argue that there is a meaningful therapeutic benefit to abortion, But I think one could debate that point for some time to come. Well, the Administrative Procedures Act governs the process by which federal agencies develop and issue regulations and take formal action. Now, if the federal agency's action is found to be arbitrary, capricious, or an abuse of discretion, a judge may nullify that action. The plaintiffs seek this result because they argue the FDA's findings on this particular drug – are at odds with the clear letter of its regulations on accelerated approvals. Now, the plaintiffs also argue that the Food and Drug Administration never appropriately studied the safety of the drugs under their labeled conditions of use, despite being required to do so by the Federal Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act. Well, the plaintiff uh, doctors, they argue that, among other things, the FDA didn't follow testing protocols, including making sure that the trials were blinded, randomized and controlled and finally the plaintiffs claim that the fda ignored the potential hormonal impacts of the drugs on adolescent girls in violation of the pediatric research and equity act well that law requires pediatric studies to be performed for certain drugs and biological products with a goal of obtaining pediatric labeling for the product that sufficiently warns of any related harms well, here the doctors argue not only did the FDA ignore substantial evidence that chemical abortion drugs cause even more complications than surgical abortions, but it waived the pediatric study requirement without any explanation whatsoever. Now, this claim is particularly poignant as tragic news broke recently that a 19 year old died of septic shock after taking the FDA approved abortion pill regimen. According to Alliance Defending Freedom, the law firm that's representing the plaintiffs in this case, the suit is the culmination of decades-long efforts by their clients to hold the FDA accountable for its actions on abortion drugs. In 2002, some of them filed a citizen petition with the FDA, arguing that the, the approval of the drug exceeded the agency's authority and offered scientific reasons to withdraw its approval. Well, the FDA sat on that petition, for 14 years, ultimately rejecting it in 2016. But on the same day it rejected the petition, it expanded the uh, approval of the drug's use from seven weeks to the first 10 weeks of pregnancy. Well, since 2016, the agency has uh, continued to loosen abortion drug restrictions. Efforts that reached their zenith during the COVID-19 pandemic when it allowed doctors to prescribe the drugs by telemedicine rather than inpatient visits. Well, and earlier this year, for the first time, the FDA allowed retail pharmacies to dispense Mifepristone if they uh, got certified with the federal government, effectively turning neighborhood CVS and Walsh Green's uh, pharmaceuticals stores into abortion clinics. Abortion rights advocates and the Biden administration have grown increasingly Concern that the case is likely to be decided entirely by conservative textualist judges who will interpret the law as it's written, which would lead to restricted abortion access even in Democrat-led states. If it loses in the trial court, the administration would have to appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans, where its arguments might not fare well. A decision on that case is expected as... um, Early as this week. So this is a has the potential to be a landmark case when it comes to chemical abortions. And we'll certainly follow it as it develops. Well, tomorrow I've taken the day and we're going to share with you a conversation. One of my colleagues had with comedian Nazareth. He's coming to the Portland area. He uh, is a funny guy. Anyway, Mike Lee will share that conversation with Nazareth, the comedian coming to the Portland area. Uh, soon, and we'll also share this week's Christian outlook. So, wanted to give you a heads up. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making
1: the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook.